Please take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and open to the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians. Uh, If you have one of the Bibles that we give out on the way in, if you need a scripture, Galatians chapter 4, you will find on page 915 in that Bible. If you don't own a Bible of your own, I would encourage you to take ours home with you. We buy them in order to give them away. So if you've got a Bible at home, leave it here, please. Uh, it's for somebody who, doesn't, who needs one or doesn't have one. Uh, but if you don't have a copy of the Bible, please take ours. You will find it to be full of everything you need to know to live a life that pleases God. And friend, there is nothing more important in the world than you living a life that is pleasing to God. It has something to do with your eternal soul. And so I would encourage you to take a copy of those scriptures with you. You can start right in the beginning. You could even start in the Gospel of John. John's an easy name to remember, so just remember John. And uh, you'll find a book in the Bible called John, and you could read that, and it will tell you everything about Jesus Christ you need to know. And John wrote his book so that you would believe in Christ. So that's a good place to begin. But if you've got your Bible there, open to Galatians chapter 4, if you would. Again, in our church Bible, that's page 915. And I'm going to begin reading for us in verse 1. So if you find the large number 4 on the page, that's the chapter. And the little numbers that follow are the verses. So you find the big number 4, and I'll start reading there. Galatians chapter 4. This is what Holy Scripture says. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, I'd like to invite you to take your Bible again and open up to Galatians chapter 4. This morning, we're going to be looking at verses 4 to 6. And as you do that, let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, today is a day where the tradition is to give gifts and to receive gifts. And maybe there are many of us who have come having experienced that already this morning. But I pray that you would help us to set aside the distractions and to remember the greatest gift that we've been given through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for our dear Savior, and we pray that he would receive the glory, that he would be lifted on high in our midst, 
and that we would enjoy our Savior forever. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Now, the story of the first exodus is a truly fascinating and remarkable story. I know that it's a story that many of us are really familiar with, but when you think about it, there's really no other story quite like it. You have back-to-back supernatural events. You have the voice of God that comes through a burning bush, the ten plagues that strike Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the, the pillar of fire and smoke, water from the rock, manna that fell from the sky. It's just miracles after miracles after miracles. We see that all of this is done to deliver the Israelites out of slavery from under the Egyptians. And you know the story that this is an enslavement that the people of God have experienced for over 400 years. And the Lord had appointed a servant, Moses, to lead his people out of their cruel and oppressive life of bondage. But every time I think about the story of the first exodus with all the amazing things that took place in that event, I can't help but wonder what Moses felt in his heart every single time the Israelites grumbled and complained about wanting to go back to a life of slavery. I want you to just think about that for a second. If you were Moses, how would that make you feel? Something as foolish and as inconceivable as this, I think it's fair to say, must have caused him a great deal of pain in his heart. Free people wanting to go back to a life of slavery. Unfortunately, this kind of heart-wrenching pain wasn't only experienced by the prophet Moses. By the time we fast forward and come to the New Testament, we see that the apostle Paul also felt this kind of pain in his heart because the same thing was basically happening to a group of Christians in Galatia just in a different way. Now, during this time the letter was written, the letter to the Galatians, the Christians in Galatia were forgetting their identity as spiritually free people, and they were going back to their former life of spiritual enslavement under the law. What I mean is, instead of embracing the free gift of salvation that was given to them by Christ, they were once again trying to earn their salvation by doing good works like getting circumcised according to the Old Testament law. Somewhere along the way, they started to believe that Christ wasn't enough, and they actually needed to do these things in order to be truly saved. And, and this was a massive, massive problem because if you try to justify yourself and earn your salvation by keeping the law, then the condition is you must keep the entire law. That's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 3. He says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. In other words, if you want to be saved by the law, then you must perfectly obey the whole law. Every single point of the law, every detail of the law, you must be perfect. But the reality is that will never work because who can do such a thing? The Bible is very clear, and I think even our own experience testifies to this truth that no one is perfect. No one is righteous, not even one. 
So in trying to earn their salvation by doing good works, see what these Galatian Christians were actually doing was they were putting themselves back in bondage to the law. These free Christians were running back to their former life of slavery. And so, in response to this massive problem, Paul wrote this letter to remind these wavering Christians of their freedom and their true status in Christ. Now, this morning, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, just those three verses, which talks about God's work in sending forth His Son into the world. And I decided to preach this text because it does talk about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But this morning, I want us to think a little deeper about the meaning of Christmas. I think we can truly get lost in the wonder of the incarnation, but I want us to think beyond just the manger. This morning, I I want us to think why the Son of God was born into this world. And these few verses in Galatians 4 that we're looking at today reveal that there was a special purpose for the incarnation, and it wasn't just to set us free from our spiritual slavery. Freedom was not the end goal of the incarnation. God didn't just send His Son into the world to free us and then leave us. God sent His Son into the world to free us and to draw us close, to adopt us into His family. So according to this passage, it is fair to say that the incarnation of Jesus Christ was for the purpose of adoption. A child was born so that many would be made children of God. The Son was given so that many would become sons and daughters of God. My dear brothers and sisters, we ought to rejoice as we ponder this amazing truth that God sent His Son into the world to set us free, but also to make us family. Christmas is about God desiring to have you and to make you His own children, and it begins with the Father's initiation. So you can follow along in your bulletins with me. Point number one, the Father sent His Son. Look with me at verse 4. Paul goes on and he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law. Now, when when Paul talks about the fullness of time, he talks about this a, a couple times in his letters. It's basically his way of saying that the time was right, The time was perfect according to God to send His Son, the Savior, into the world. Now, I don't think we can know exactly why the moment Jesus came into the world was considered the fullness of time. There are some interesting guesses as to why that might be, but I don't think we can really know. What we do know is that the one who holds the beginning from the end has determined this point in history to be the perfect time. And and in that moment, God set in motion His plan of redemption by sending His Son into the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. And what follows next in that verse is the means by which the Son was sent. 
You can see there in the text that there are two parallel statements. Jesus was first born of woman, and secondly, he was born under the law. And we're going to talk about those things in just a moment. But when you consider all of verse 4, that that whole verse, in it is jam-packed with massive theological truths about Jesus Christ. In verse 4, you see both the divinity of Christ, but also the humanity of Christ. So first, the divinity of Christ, where do we see that? We see that in that little phrase, God sent forth His Son. And I want you to just pay careful attention to that. It's not a son. It's not the son of an angel if there were such a thing, but it's his son, his own son. This is the only son of God. And and right there is a profound statement that testifies to the divine nature of Jesus Christ. As the old Nicene Creed states, he is God from God, true God from true God. In other words, what we're talking about, who we're talking about, is Jesus who is fully God. But we also see in Galatians 4.4 a mention of His humanity. And this is where we come to that part in the text where He says, Jesus was born of woman. Though Jesus is fully God, He he didn't enter into this world as a spiritual being majestically descending from the heavens. He he didn't come into this world in in the form of of a mighty angel or a blazing pillar of fire and smoke. It was was nothing like that. No, his, his entrance into this world was much, much more humble and unexpected. As it states in the Apostles' Creed, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. The Son of God became flesh and dwelt among us, which means that Jesus is fully God, but He is also fully man. This here is the dual nature, the double nature of Christ. And now, even though He had every right to be above the law, because He is the one who created the law, in His humanity, He didn't give Himself any kind of special exemption from the law. Rather, Paul goes on to say that he was also born under the law, not not above the law. He was born under the law, meaning that he intentionally placed himself under the law. He subjected himself to the law, and he perfectly obeyed the law. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, Jesus was in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was perfect. And he was perfectly righteous. And the reason why he was born this way, born of woman, born under the law, is explained in the very next verse, in verse 5. First he goes on, verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So this is point number two, the Son freed his people. The word redemption is key there in that verse. To to redeem means to obtain or set free by paying a price. Someone could pay the the, the proper price and set a a, a slave free. So, when when you think about the British abolition of slavery in 1833, there's a detail in that story that is often missed. 
Although the bill to abolish slavery finally passed, we need to realize that it actually came at a very, very steep price. The reason why it was so hard for men like William Wilberforce and others to abolish, legally abolish slavery in the first place was because there were so many people who made their wealth through the slave trade industry. And so, as you can imagine, there was an incentive to keep this industry going. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, after all. And so, what the British government did as part of the Slavery Abolition Act was they paid out 20 million pounds to owners of registered slaves in order to redeem and free the slaves. In the year 1833, that's roughly the equivalent of $32 million. In today's dollars, that is roughly the equivalent of $1.15 billion. My point is this, freedom and redemption are costly. And the same is true when it comes to our spiritual freedom. This wasn't for free. It came at a steep price, and the only difference is it was infinitely more costly. There there was no amount of money to pay for the redemption of our souls. There was no amount of wealth in the world that could be offered up to free us from our enslavement to sin under the law. And that's because the perfect and righteous law of God demanded justice. The law of God demanded a hefty price for those who broke the law. And we know what that payment is. We know what that price is. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul writes, for the wages of sin is what? It's death. The wages of sin is death. That is the price that we must pay for our sin. Our sin exacts a heavy toll, and before the holy God, our sins deserve death. Earlier in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. If we can't keep the law perfectly, if we don't abide by all things written in the law of God, then the penalty is to be cursed. We are to bear the wrath of God and be put to death. See, the point that Paul is trying to make here is being bound to the law That is the weight that we must bear under the law. In order for justice to be done, lawbreakers must be punished. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the first National Treasure movie back in 2004 with Nicolas Cage. There's a scene right at the end of the movie that always stuck with me. And the way the story goes, it it turns out that there is a secret clue that is hidden in the back of the United States Declaration of Independence. And it's a a little secret that leads to a lost treasure. And and, we're talking about one of the most important historical documents in the country. And the good guys in the movie end up stealing the declaration in order to keep it from falling to the hands of the bad guys because the bad guys are going to use it, abuse it, and destroy it. So you fast forward to the end of the movie and the good guys, they find the treasure, and the main character gives the declaration back to the FBI agent in charge 
who's been after him in the entire movie. And the FBI agent asks the main character what he wants, and one of his three conditions is that he really, really, really doesn't want to go to prison. But the FBI agent looks at him and says, somebody's got to go to prison. Somebody's got to go to prison. This FBI agent is on his side, but he is a man who abides by the law, and the law demands that justice be done. The U.S. Declaration of Independence was stolen. Someone needs to go to prison. In the same way, the law of God is absolute. Sin has been committed. The law has been broken, and the penalty of death must be paid. That was our spiritual bondage to the law. So then how did Jesus redeem us from this bondage? Well, the answer that Paul gives us is found earlier, again, in chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Because we've all sinned and broken the law, we deserve to be cursed. We deserve death and the wrath of God. And so Jesus came as a human bound under the law in order to identify with lawbreakers like us, and he substituted himself in our place. And by doing this, Jesus was cursed and he was crushed for our iniquities, and we were forgiven and freed for his righteousness. See, let me try to illustrate this another way. Imagine that you were in a burning building, and then suddenly the, the, the roof collapsed over you, and, and, and you're, you're holding it up, but you're, you're slowly getting crushed under the weight of the roof. There, there's nothing that you can do. You're not strong enough to push it away. If you try to jump away, you'll be killed. This is an impossible situation. It is only a matter of time before you crumble under the weight of this collapsed roof. See, that fallen roof is sort of what the law is like. There's no stopping it. Justice must be done. Sin must be punished. Lawbreakers under the law will be crushed by the law. But imagine someone else runs into that burning building and takes your place under the fallen roof. Can't save you from the outside. He comes under and he bears the weight so that you would be able to escape. You see, there's a cost to this freedom. The one who places himself under the weight of the fallen roof will himself be crushed and killed in your place. See, friends, that is a picture of what Christ does for us. While we were being slowly crushed by the oppressive weight of the law because of our sinfulness, Jesus came under the law in order to bear the full weight of the law so that we could escape judgment and death. The just law of God demanded a steep price, and Jesus paid for all of it. He was crushed in our place so that we would be set free. This is true for all Christians who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. 
And if you're not a Christian, unless you are truly perfect, unless you can truly say that you've never done a single thing wrong in your life, then the reality is you are under the law of God and you deserve the curse of death. But this same freedom can be yours as well if you turn away from your sins and you put your trust in Jesus Christ. See, on the cross, Jesus sacrificed his own life as payment to free his people. And if you come to Jesus and you put your faith in him, then he will set you free. And Paul talked about the gospel of John. Here's what John chapter 8, verse 30, 36 says, and if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed, and no one can take that freedom away from you. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Christmas is a day where we commemorate and celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's Merry Christmas. It's a day to be glad and rejoice because the light of the world has come to push away the darkness and to give us the light of life. The incarnation is real and it produces joy, but our joy ought to be a somber joy as we remember that Christ was born to die. The incarnation paved the way for the crucifixion, and the crucifixion was the payment for our redemption, for our freedom. By his death on the cross, Jesus purchased our freedom. But as I mentioned before, this good news of the gospel doesn't, doesn't just end with our freedom. It ends with his saved people being adopted into God's family. So here's point number three, the last point, the people adopted into his family. Notice that verse five doesn't just end with our redemption and our freedom. I mean, if you really think about it, it could have just ended with the words to redeem those who are under the law, period, and that would have been enough. That would still be good news. To be truly free from our spiritual enslavement, the gospel could have ended with those words. But the verse goes on and Paul talks about the purpose of Christ's redeeming work. Again, beginning in verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The incarnation paved the way for the crucifixion. The crucifixion was payment for our redemption, but redemption was for the purpose of adoption. That is the logical flow of this text. It begins with incarnation, it goes to redemption, and it ends with adoption. In that sense, here is the end goal of Christmas. God wanted you to be his child. God wanted to have you as his own and to be in a loving relationship with you. As J.A. Packer once said, adoption is the crown blessing of God. A child was born so that many would be made children of God. The son was given 
so that many would become sons and daughters of God. The death of Christ was not only the payment for our freedom, but it was a payment to sign those spiritual adoption papers so that God would have us, people like us, sinners, rebels, lawbreakers, to have us as his own. How great is God's love for us that we should be called children of God. I don't want you to miss the beautiful Trinitarian work that is mentioned in this text. In verse 4, it is the Father who sends. In verse 5, it is the the Son who redeems. And in verse 6, it is the Spirit who goes forth and indwells the people of God. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. The Spirit of God is given to all Christians in order to be our witness and confirmation that we are indeed children of God. And because that's true, we can call out to God, our Heavenly Father. My dear brothers and sisters, on this Christmas day, let's rejoice as we remember that God sent His Son into the world so that we would have a loving relationship with Him as our Father forever. A good father loves his children unconditionally. His love is not dependent on the children's performances. Our God is our good father. He loves you as his own children because of Christ. So don't try to win God's favor and affection by doing good works. Don't try to earn your, his, his love because of your performances. That is a way of throwing away your spiritual freedom. That is a way of forsaking your loving father and running back to that oppressive and treacherous life of slavery. I don't know if you noticed this when we sang, who would have dreamed that last verse? It says, wondrous gift of heaven, the father sends the son, planned from time eternal, moved by holy love. He will carry our curse and death he'll reverse so we can be daughters and sons. My dear friends, that is the purpose of the incarnation. God wanted you to be his child. So enjoy him forever. He is for you, he loves you, and in Christ you belong to him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what an amazing joy it is that we could actually call the God of this world our Father. Thank you for sending your only Son, born of woman, born under the law, the only one who lived a perfect, righteous life under the law. And yet, he laid down his life so that we would be set free and we would be adopted into your family. Our Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. We pray that our hearts would rejoice seems fitting that we as a church family would be here together on Christmas to celebrate 
the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, to remember his death that bought us freedom, and to remember that we belong to you. Thank you for all that you've done through your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.